I'm Matthew Frost, and welcome to a special one-off episode of Fully Scored. On the 18th of September 1922, Ray Stedman Allen, or RSA as he's affectionately known, was born. During his lifetime, his contribution to Salvation Army music was arguably unrivalled. In this episode, we celebrate 100 years since that very day. To do this, we welcome eight guests onto the podcast who knew RSA well. We'll be hearing stories and anecdotes about the man and his music from guests William Himes, Stephen Cobb, Andrew Blythe, Derek Kane, Kenneth Downey, Howard Evans and Barbara Stedman-Allen. We also welcome Dudley Bright to the podcast as he shares an insightful analysis of one of RSA's finest works, Romans 8, A Brass Celebration. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Kenneth Downey, thank you ever so much for joining us once again. It's good to hear a familiar voice. How did you know Ray Stedman Allen? Oh, thanks, Matthew. Um, yeah, my, my memories of Ray go right back to the late 1950s uh, when I was about 14 and went to the Scottish music camp and Ray was the guest one year and... Um, I have to admit, I was so nervous and frightened and overawed by him that I could hardly uh, bring myself to, to, to get much of a, a dialogue with him. Uh, he, he came over as very friendly and I was in the, the band. We had a leadership group and he rehearsed that band. And then we did a weekend at Paisley Citadel after that. I remember talking to him once after a rehearsal and another student came up and took our photograph and I thought he just wanted to get Ray's photograph so I backed out of the way but he took a photograph of us both and Ray showed this to me years and years later and it, it brought back all the memories. One thing I particularly remember though was that he we had a vocal group and Ray accompanied it and it, we were doing a song called Why Hang Your Harp on the Willow I think it's by Bramwell Coles and uh, it's a three verse and chorus thing, but in the last chorus, there's a big rallentando and, and, a, and a pause. And Ray gave it that the words are take it down, something or other, it's, take your harp off the willow tree. And he gave a great big cascade, downward cascade on the piano, you're right, you know, on, on the night when we were singing it. Never done it before in a rehearsal. <laughs> it's one of those things that just r reminds me of him and his, his uh, musical imagination and sense of humour as well. The next time I, I recall was uh, I was now living in England and um, the centenary year 1965. I, I got tickets for all the events in the Albert Hall. It, was, it ran for about eight or nine days. And uh, during that time, I had the Holy War, uh, which was premiered at that event. I'd also raised uh, Fantasia for piano and band. And I did have a conversation with him then, because by this time I was starting to write music myself and sending a few things up to the department. And um, we had a nice chat about the Fantasia for piano and band. And I was in at rehearsal with him playing. He said to me, oh, they want me to play it without the music tomorrow or something at the Albert Hall, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and then for the first time, I felt I was kind of, um, you know, uh, comfortable enough to have a, that kind of conversation with him. 
And that carried on because later that year, I went to study at Durham University. And one of the reasons I went was that Ray had actually studied, um, he'd got his degree, his first degree from Durham, and that had always fascinated me. And while I was there, uh, he came up um, to do um, another degree at Durham. And um, I said to him, why are you taking a, a, another degree in music because for me he was right up there at the top anyway what was a guy like this actually doing uh, more studies for I mean this was a perspective of a, an 18 year old student and I always remember his answer he said because um, there's all sorts of emerging composers like you he said and I want to have their respect and I thought that was such um I mean, I, I could hardly understand it because I think he had everybody's respect. But he was looking to the future and uh, that's how he felt. He wanted to be the best so that whatever happened with new opportunities for people like me emerging, he wanted the respect of emerging composers. Well, the next time that I met him would be uh, at Songs to Leaders Councils in 1969. In those days, the, the staff band uh, and the songsters would give concerts between sessions. And if the weather was good, it was out in the grounds at the training college. It was really lovely. And um, I, I met him and I was chatting. I think he was asking me about something, some music I'd sent up. He was being very encouraging to me. And suddenly in the distance, the staff band started playing his trombone feature, Wonders Begin with the, When the Lord Comes In. And he said to me, do you mind if I go and listen to that? Because he'd only written it. And so we went sprinted over to the staff band and um, it had only been played for the first time the previous night at the Albert Hall. Maybe I thought, oh, by the time you get to the dizzy heights he'd achieved, that you don't get excited about things like that. But uh, obviously that wasn't the case. And it isn't the case for me now, uh, not at those dizzy heights, but I still get excited about new opportunities, new music. So he wanted to, so we ran over and listened to this and, um, and people acknowledged him and everything. And that was really nice. Well, I suppose we need to jump ahead to uh, 2001. That's a, a long way down from 1969, but um, I was actually uh, invited to join uh, in a part-time capacity working in the music department. And uh, so this, this great man, whom I'd known from a distance and a few little uh, sort of encounters over the years, suddenly was a, a colleague in the department. And uh, it took me a while to get used to that, really. So it was a completely different relationship then. And because we worked in an open plan office, um, even if you weren't trying to eavesdrop, <laughs> you would hear uh, bits of, you know, if Ray was on the phone to his wife, Joy, uh, oh, it was so beautiful. It, they, they conversed as if they were just uh, a honeymoon on honeymoon or something. It was so... Um, so loving and warm and natural and and Ray, I mean, there he was in this open plan office, but he, he he wasn't at all bothered, you know. He would just converse in that natural manner, and it was uh, it was very nice. I remember one late on when the, the Sibelius music program came out, and um, he 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 adopted that. But after about three or four months, he, he came into the office and said, "That's it." 
and not doing so barely again is is absolutely yeah. I write much quicker without it. It's not at all helpful to me, and and, and I know exactly what he means because I had one foot in both camps. I did a lot of my writing on manuscript and and used to bear this later on. And but I don't think he ever really got comfortable with it. And um, you know, there we are. <laughs> fantastic. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you for sharing those memories. There, it's really okay. fantastic to hear and to be like a fly on the wall in those situations. <laughs> I find myself wondering why he would think about all this today. If the idea of us all getting together and chatting about him as, a, as the great figure he is, you probably would find it very difficult to understand what we were doing. I think my overwhelming thing is that he was just so natural, uh, unassuming, not conscious of himself at all, probably not aware of his, his, the extent of his talents, really. You know, what a nice quality, eh? Well, Barbara Stedman Allen, thank you ever so much for joining us on Fully Scored. It's brilliant to hear from you. I believe you've got a few anecdotes to share about your father, Ray Stedman Allen. Yes, and I'm speaking on behalf of Rosemary too, because uh, the problem with having an anecdote from family members is that when you live up close to somebody, then life is just normal. So nothing is really an anecdote, but we've racked our brains and we've come up with a few stories. Dad would uh, work on something in another room and we could hear him working at snatches of pieces uh, of music. And, but then he would come through and ask my mum to go and hear what he'd been working at. Well, she'd been listening to it and snatches of it for the last however many uh, minutes and, and, and hours. So it was a bit uh, of a chuckle for us all that he'd say, Joy, come and listen to this. Um, because he she would have already been listening to it, but then she would give her comments. And he always valued my mum's uh, opinion. Well, Derek Kane, thank you ever so much for joining us once again on Fully Scores. I'm looking forward to hearing your anecdote of how you knew Ray Stedman Allen. Well, uh, I found a memento uh, this week in my music room in the house. It says the Star Lake uh, Music Camp, 1972. So uh, 50 years ago, incredibly. And that was my first introduction uh, to the great RSA. Uh, I was at Star Lake as a student um, as a, the Eric Lysden scholarship winner um, from the Scotland Territory. And the guest conductor and uh, musician that week was Ray Stedman Allen. So it was quite uh, fantastic to be there uh, at the Star Lake camp and playing pieces like The Holy War. And uh, I was also asked to play The Conqueror uh, during that week, uh, which was a massive thing, as you can imagine, for a 16-year-old uh, from Scotland at Star Lake playing this anyway, but to play it in front of the, the great composer that Stedman Allen was and is, uh, was, was quite incredible. And uh, I quite re I well remember his conducting of the Star Lake band on a very hot day. Um, I guess you would call it very energetic conducting. Maybe manic's the word I'm looking for, but... Um, <laughs> It, that was that was really good, but at, at any rate, it was infectious uh, and a great example to uh, all the young people there, and and a great a great memory. And it's just good to mention the influence that RSA has been uh, to many young people, not just in in our territory, but throughout the world. You know, he visited many star lakes of the world uh, and influenced many many people uh, through his great music.
uh, a man who, in my view, um, would never would never be replaced for what he was. Uh, a composer, an arranger, a piano soloist, brass music, vocal music, can write a piece for YP band, can write a piece for the Albert Hall contest for brass band. That is quite incredible. And uh, as they say in, in football language, there's only one RSA. So that's my thought and feeling about the great RSA today. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Derek, for those words. One of the uh, lovely events, Dad was in Canada without Mum. He preferred engagements uh, when she could be alongside him. But on this occasion, he went alone. Mum typed up all his notes. And on the bottom of many of his notes, she included, Ray loves joy, joy loves maple syrup. And so Dad would faithfully read down his notes and come to this last sentence and he would read this last sentence and as you can imagine he came home with tons of the stuff this was all pre 100 milliliter restrictions on the plane howard evans thank you again for joining us on fully schooled it's nice to see a familiar face and hear a familiar voice how did you know ray stedman allen our paths in a sense first crossed indirectly when i went to the bands department um, before I went into Salvation Army Training College in London. Um, I'd been a music student, I'd been a music student for five years, the proverbial music student. I'd been doing my postgraduate piano work and working through that direction and through music school experiences ended up making the decision to become a Salvation Army officer. And to facilitate that and uh, for all sorts of reasons, um, Norman, who Norman Bearcroft, who I'd met at Cobham, um, decided that it would be good for me to work in the bands department as it was then uh, before I went into training. And um, so that first year, uh, Ray was actually in Australia at that time. So the communication and connection in those days uh, was also before email and um, uh, preparing for the Albert Hall Festival event during that particular season. Um, it was the phone calls that came from Australia at odd hours of the night to Norman in terms of some of the music. Ray just wasn't kind of, you know, sort of quite aware of, uh, uh, well, he was aware of time and distance, but he was phoning when it was convenient to him in terms of the band's department and getting hold of Norman and sorting out some of the music that Norman wanted uh, for the Royal Albert Hall festivals as they were in those days. So I, I kind of sort of chuckle uh, sort of when I think about those events. By the time I was commissioned as a, as a Salvation Army officer, um, Ray and Joy were back in this country. They'd come back from Australia and um, he was in charge of what was then the forerunner to the Salvationist publication, which was for many, many years called The Musician. The Musician actually had a tradition of sometimes publishing small songs for all sorts of reasons. And at our commissioning, um, it was in the days we had a, a dedication meeting in the afternoon and then uh, a, a big appointments meeting in the evening, which concluded with a, a pageant, not the kind of big pageant that took a whole meeting of years past, but a pageant that kind of sort of closed the meeting off. Uh, I'd been responsible for some of the music for that particular pageant and had ended up writing the devotional chorus that was associated with that particular pageant. 
And uh, I remember uh, talking to Ray after that particular event about it because Ray wanted to publish this little chorus that I'd written and wanted to publish it in The Musician. And, and he felt that it would fit best and, and give it a wider publication by actually printing it in The Musician which uh, over that summer, I've got a copy of it somewhere, over the over that summer, Ray uh, very generously encouraged me by printing this chorus from our commissioning pageant. It was the, as I say, the big devotional um, song that was used at the end of that particular meeting for the prayer meeting session and was used uh, quite a bit at that particular event. And he, he really did encourage me by, and, and sort of on the way, uh, right from those early years, here's this guy that I'd grown up knowing about with this incredible music. Here he is encouraging me with some of the things that I was I was starting to do. Um, so the, our, our kind of paths crossed in in those those early years of my off officership as well. After that, I spent four years as a corps officer, and uh, during that time, Heather and I were married and were together as corps officers and then we were appointed back to London. Previous leadership, sometime previously, had decided that we would have a Congress that summer. At the meeting where the Congress had been decided, Norman had said to the assembled committee, well, you realise that's when I'm away on a Scandinavian tour with the ISS. And the uh, British commissioner at the time said, that's fine, we won't need you or something of that kind of effect. And because Norman was away with the ISS in Scandinavia at the exact same time, um, the leadership decided to use that to appoint me to the position of National Bandmaster and to join the bands department um, to help things function. So that particular year, we had the Congress, which took place over the Saturday and the Sunday in the Royal Albert Hall in the July. We also had the usual councils festival in the June. But what happened, um, Ray was by then retired at Kettering. And my first day in the appointment was to meet Ray and Norman in the car at the bottom of the M11, which wasn't too far from where we were living. And the three of us traveled up to Norwich Citadel to do a massed chorus rehearsal with the groups of songsters that were that were joining us on that particular occasion. So Norman travelled round with Ray and I for the initial rehearsals at one or two of the venues that we're doing. Ray and I were then left to our own devices and spent many hours travelling in the car, stopping at Little Chefs for a meal on the way. <laughs> that was the thing that you did in those days. Um, and and travelled around uh, uh, doing the rehearsals for the UK Congress that was happening that particular summer. It was just great actually traveling around with him. We were never short of conversation between us. I wish I could, I wish I'd kind of recorded some of those conversations now. You know, you don't think about it at the time, but conversations were wide ranging. It wasn't just limited to the army and to army music. There were, there were all sorts of things. And so it was, it was absolutely great to be able to chat to him and to spend as much time with him as, as I did in those in those days, sometimes going and picking him up from Kettering to go further north or sometimes having a meeting point somewhere. And just just a lot of fun as well and just a huge respect for him and and 
um, what he was doing, even even in retirement. I, I remember going um, to pick up Ray and I was going to have something to eat with him before we went on to rehearsal. And the one thing that I'm, I'm a bit funny about eating wise, if people say, do you have any dietary requirements? I would just say, I'm just a little bit careful with fish. Um, I, I'm not a great lover. I, I don't mind certain types of fish. I, I just can't abide fish with skin on on my plate it, it, it kind of it does something to me and sometimes I do have a kind of physical reaction if I've eaten if I've eaten some some kind of fish I, I I love my fish and chips down at Weymouth here you know the the traditional kind of stuff but one of the things that I can't stand is sort of the smoked fish I remember my huge embarrassment one day Joy had prepared us a meal and it was some kind of smoked haddock with a salad I just I just didn't I didn't have the heart to say that I was funny about fish or didn't or didn't like fish and so I did what my mother had taught me to do and I just sat there and ate it and they never never knew that I, I really did not want to eat I think I probably shuffled some of it around the plate in one or two places very quietly and without them knowing I was just a little bit ill in the bathroom afterwards I just didn't have the heart to tell Ray and Joy that it, I just couldn't eat it didn't want to eat it bless their hearts I never 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 ever told him that afterwards I, I just it was just one of those things I just wouldn't wouldn't do it <laughs> brilliant thank you for that there's a, a little snapshot perhaps into family life. He would come in from a day in the music editorial department when it was on Judd Street, uh, catch up with mum, enjoy the evening meal with us all and, and then disappear into this other room next door to work on the piano and the current piece, but not before it also disappeared into the garden to his phrase, catch the daylight hours. Well, Rosemary and I always thought it got him out of the washing up uh, but he really was doing a bit of gardening and he did love the garden. Dudley Bright, thank you ever so much for joining us on Fully Scored. It's a real pleasure to have you joining us. And you're going to be talking about one of the many, many fine pieces of brass music that Ray Steadman Allen wrote. Today we're going to be discussing Roman Date, a brass celebration. My first question about the piece would be, when was this piece originally written and what was the purpose of its composition? Well, uh, Ray, being who he was, was always being asked to write pieces. He probably still is, wherever he is, <laughs> uh, being asked to write pieces. Uh, and there are so many pieces that, that he wrote that were only used maybe on one occasion. Fortunately, Romans 8 is not one of them. Um, but it was written for the National School of Music uh, at Cobham Hall in 1985 at the request of the then... National Youth Secretary, uh, Norman Howe, who wanted to use the chapter of St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter eight, for Bible study and devotions during that week. And he came up with the idea of having a piece of music to be played by the A-band, that's the kind of pick, if you like, of the, of the students um, that illustrated or accompanied the Bible study. Um, I think that's rather good, don't you? I mean, it's it was a way of actually saying, you know, 
the army's brass music has got a real relevance and can be of real relevance in, in underlining our teaching and our, our knowledge and our understanding of God and the Bible. Uh, so he was asked to write this piece and um, there are many that testify to actually that week of being a real changing point in their lives um, and maybe because of Ray's music. And there have been many recordings and performances of this piece, all fantastic in their own right. Have you got a favourite recording or performance that you've heard of this? Well, I first came to hear this piece on a, on a tape of Hendon Band. Um, and I still have that tape, uh, old fashioned cassette tape, uh, very fine recording conducted by uh, Dr. Stephen Cobb. Excellent stuff. Let's look at the score of this music now and we'll talk it through and see the genius unfolding on the score here. First of all, though, before we do that, is there a structure to this piece? Well, Ray himself uh, suggests in his score notes that there's four sections. Um, I find it easier to think of them in three. It doesn't really matter if there are three or four sections um, because he's illustrating the scripture. Um, but I would say, I would say it's easier to find your way around the music if it's in three sections. But I think probably Ray had to decide uh, from the beginning what kind of piece it was going to be. Uh, it might say quiche now. Was he going to write a, a march or was he going to write symphonic variations or a suite or um, a meditation? Um, Ray being the person that was always reckoned to be breaking down barriers, um, groundbreaking, he came up with something that no one had done before. There had been pieces with the name, with the word in the title, and most famously, Leslie Condon wrote a march called Celebration. But this is Romans 8, a brass celebration. So it's a new um title for a, for a piece of brass so i probably won't no one will ever have the cheek to write another brass celebration but it gives us a clue into understanding music and what he was trying to say he's not saying it's a bible study we've all read but romans 8 and now we're going to go over it what it means and thankfully thankfully for me it's not this isn't a stud, bible study either it's an, an analysis of a piece of music and ray saying You've done the work on Romans 8, you've understood, you've heard about what it means and presumably taught well by Norman Howe about that. Let's celebrate it and say, isn't that wonderful? And you get right from the very beginning, this is a brass celebration and there's a lot of shouting and cheering in this music, if you like, and it begins right on the first bar, half a bar with a timpani. are particularly important in this piece um, often they're underlying this idea of celebration and dance if you like sometimes it's really in the distance when we're being meditative we see here in the distance the drums and sometimes the band imitates the the, the percussion there's not a great there's no there's not um xylophones and uh, the, the width of um 
percussion that we're used to these days. It's still fairly simple, um, just timpani, snare drum, glockenspiel, um, triangle, but not a lot. But what they do do is really important right from the beginning. So there's the timpani. And right on this, the first full bar, which comes immediately, is one of two motifs that run all the way through the piece. And this one, if I am allowed to sing, uh, and it's not only is it a, a motif, but it can be used as an ostinato. It means it cycles. And we can expect to hear that all the way through. And here is Ray, the, the great uh, enfant terrible of army music always putting in something to shock people, something to be creative, doing something that nobody's done before, uh, whatever keys he would like. And here he is actually for full two pages of score. He's sticking in C major, C major. It's There's something grounding about it. It's solid, it's truthful. Excellent. So that set up an introduction. How does that then launch us into the first segment of the piece? Okay, well, um, that, that carries on, the ostinato carries on, um, the, the band does a bit of drumming, and we hear, oh, it's actually quite hard to hear it, um, another motif which is based on uh, Luther's Reformation chorale. So um, the essence of the, the, the eighth chapter of Romans is, is to do with what Luther came later, but Luther was rediscovering um, in the Reformation um, the truth of the, of the Spirit um, that's contained in Romans 8. Um, so here, Ray's chosen, not the first bar or the second bar, but the, the last phrase of that hymn tune, which is simply, it's, it's a scale coming down, C major scale. La da 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 uh, but it has one note out of place. La da da da. It goes back. La ba 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 ba. Now this is not the first time that Ray had used this. Um, he was quite well known for his, uh, for some quite shocking, uh, Holy War, which was first performed in 1965 at the Centenary Congress. Uh, there are people. There was one dear lady that remonstrated with Ray and said that his music made her physically sick. <laughs> but he does recall that uh, apart from that, it was accepted and that the whole Albert Hall was on its feet uh, at the at the end of the Holy War. So and the Holy War was based on the not just the, the end, but the whole of this Reformation chorale, which incidentally, if my me memory serves me, correctly was uh, um, not in the songbook at the time uh, and the next songbook it was number one uh, so there we are the power of army music uh, to direct uh, our tunes um, but he, he just uses those last few notes and this brings us on to something that Ray does um, not unique to him but it's very special the way he does it is to have transformations He'll take a tune, not necessarily the first bar or the first phrase, but any any part of the phrase. He'll take the shape of the melody and he'll change the rhythm. And so often we're not even aware that that's not completely original material that he's using. 
and before long the the whole band stops and the trombones play just three chords um, which is right from the end of the the reformation chorale um, i love that the way he uses trombones uh, other composers mix trombones up with euphoniums and baritones um, but ray would being having been a very fine writer for trombone solos uh, i was going to say a fine trombonist i don't think he claimed to be a fine trombonist he was in the staff band for a, a, a little while, um, but he's written some great trombone solos. So we continue until letter B, at letter B, um, the tune, My Soul is Now United to Christ the Living Vine. If you get a look, chance to look at the score, um, there is annotations all the way along the top. Um, sometimes the words of the song involved, sometimes just a giving you direction as to what we're listening to. And then it says, my soul is united to Christ the living vine. Um, but the original tune of that is fairly straightforward and would you say a bit plain and boring in duplet time. He's dancing now and he puts it into, into triplet time. Uh, and the uh, and underneath da, 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 is carrying on uh, and then suddenly he he goes yeah okay um st francis all creatures of our god and king uh, and he takes the third phrase um oh praise him oh praise him uh, the solo cornet so suddenly yeah da, 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 da. he actually sharpens the c so it, it's a it's a different modality um this is it's like he's got so much to say that he keeps on putting a little bit in here a little bit there um before long the temperature decreases and he gives the trombone the, the first full tune to recognize this joyful eastertide <laughs> And halfway through the, the tune, the solo horn pipes up and said, hey, oh, hang on, it's not meant to be triplets, it's meant to be like this. And he plays in duplets. Um, but the percussion say, hey, no, we're in uh, compound time and you get a six, coming from the percussion there, as if to put him back on track. But Christ is risen, is risen. Um, there's a danger here, just as we come to the end of the tune, that it's going to be the ordinary end of a tune but no suddenly in come the timps on an a flat the the band on a on a c flat and we have something we kind of completely whipped into a, a strange key and emphasizing what we've just heard <laughs> The tempo and the temperature of the music here begins to subside. The bass is that they've got the ostinato, but they slow it down, and we become a bit doleful. And the horns are saying, What if Christ isn't risen? The trombones kind of agree with them. What if Christ has not arisen? This is this is harping back to um uh, well, some of the song is based on it, but it's it's we're outside of Romans 8 for a moment and into 1 Corinthians 15 
where St Paul says, if Christ hasn't arisen, our faith is in vain. So there's a like, if Christ hasn't arisen, our faith is in vain. The son of Cornet's trying to be positive and he's going to da 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 ba da ba da. That's the end of arisen, arisen, arisen. That's the end of the the tune before. It's reminding and yes, yeah, yes, you're right. They agree with the solar cornets. Arisen, arisen, arisen. And as if to emphasize that letter H, Christ the Lord is risen today, comes in the cornets and trombones. Now that could be quite quiche. If someone like me was trying to write that, had that idea, it would be a bit quiche and not very special. But he's brought in the euphoniums and, and tubers. It's almost like they're they're sounding an alarm, and and it it clashes with the the A major tonality of the cornets and trombones, uh, and it's something very special. It, it emphasizes it and, and the truth of it. So we're now into a slower tempo, still in the first section, a solo E-flat bass plays the ostinato. And for me, for, I always thought about this for a long while. The cornets and trombones have this three note. It's so positive, it must be a quote from something, and all I can think of, and, but it's the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. And the drumming carries on and we just finish off this section with a version of the Reformation Chorale. He's changed the rhythm, the shape of the notes are the same. And then we come to the beginning of the second section uh, or the second and third section. I would lump them together that we have a, a, a complete tune here that he's using. He goes away and digresses and then comes back to another tune. So we have two tunes um, with a, a, actually a very important section in the middle, which we will come on to. Um, but that's my reason for um, conflating. That's that good word? Very conflating uh, that two, two sections into one. Excellent. So this tune here at letter J, we are born of the spirit. We are new in his love. What can you tell us about that melody? Yeah, well, that's that's one that's probably unfamiliar to many listeners, and, and it was to me. So I did a bit of research and a bit of help from other people, um, pointed me to an old LP of um, the Royal Albert Hall. And this is Ray's tune. The song is called We Are New in the Spirit. Um, it's probably not published, but you can hear it on the LP, Going to the Army, it's called, or on Regal's on a phone. important to recognize that we've had a lot of complexity in the music some very hard music and a lot of energy and a lot of celebrating and dancing and whirling around um, and here he's just come to relax uh, in the music and there's it's more or less block chords 
Um, but are we to find out that the this enfant terrible of the army's music has sat back and given us something that's quite ordinary? No. And it's a very simple device. We are born of the spirit. We are new in his lovely euphonium sings out. And then when it gets a bit high, he adds the octave lower of the second euphonium. And that, as for me, is it's a it's a very special tonality. It's one, and probably one that we weren't used to hearing up until then. So let's jump to the next song. Um, again, he's not being very complex and he decides to use the tune Lord of All Hopefulness on the horns. In E flat, E flat major, he's given that to horns. I should say, including the flugel horns. Hopefully the flugel will blend in with the horns. Um, obviously writing for a, a very competent band because the horns stay in unison go up to top a and the second horn's got to go up to top a with them and whoever was second horn in the a band at the national school of music that year will know who they were and that they've been mentioned i'm sure they did well um other bands probably bandmasters judicious bandmasters ask their second horn to leave it out <clears throat> but there we have the horns playing lord of all hopefulness that lovely irish tune of slain in e flat major so is he just played this ordinarily in something commonplace well he starts with a, a, a lovely kind of rock rocking motion uh every bar and the whole band is involved in this and it's in c minor so what well it gets to the third bar the accompaniments in c minor and the horns are in e flat major it doesn't clash at all. It's just beautiful writing. tune comes to an end the rocking continues and like is suddenly saying be there at my waking and he just lifts everything up a, a minor third like be there at my waking here we are the first thing that's on our lips in the morning is christ let's let's just backtrack a little bit back why the holy war was um hated by people <laughs> not hated but uh, disliked um actually bandmaster kenneth cook in his notes in the what was the musician and he said there's been some controversy about this uh and he said i would ask uh how can one illustrate war without aggressive and violent music but there were people that felt it was just a step too far but we're in the 60s 1965 and it's that it was the time of the beatles to go to the proms the music was completely dotty i have to say there was completely amazing ridiculous contemporary classical music these days is very tame in comparison to what was going on and the army and, and that's kind of what we were expecting in the army so to really push barriers forward uh, and we got it in the holy war uh, Leslie Condon with the present age never heard anything like that or since I might add 
in the middle of the holy war ray has this point at which all tonality um, breaks down and we have all the different 12 notes vying with each other and he he puts in a, a cluster chord uh, which makes a huge crescendo it's it's not quite all 12 notes of the of the chromatic scale I don't think that's typical Ray because he was meticulous. He wouldn't have just said, oh, here are all the, the 12 notes of the chromatic scale. For some reason, it didn't sound right to him to have all 12 notes. He had 11. In this case, he brings in a cluster chord again. But it's not like the Holy War. It's completely different. So as the, the new in the spirit fades away, the muted cornets and trombones come in with that ostinato but this time really stretched out in music called augmentation. And it builds up until there are nine different notes, so not 11. Again, he was meticulous, it had to sound right. But it's, it's almost as if a mist gathers. And to me, that's the Holy Spirit gathering round the disciples as they were blessed by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Incidentally, going back to trombone writing, there's only one place in this whole piece where triple forte is marked. <laughs> you see where it is, Matthew. I do indeed. And we're talking here third bar in O for any listeners following on the school. Yeah, first trombone, muted. <laughs> and the and the motif and now has Christ arisen arisen comes back and this time instead of it being in triple time as we had near the beginning it's in its proper uh, metrical sense um, but Ray great lover of the counterpoint of J.S. Bach wanted to put in something of saying look let's be complex and there's a lot of counterpoint going on here but we have the we have the tune in its right context this time in A flat major arisen arisen and then for the one time only the beginning of the reformation chorale comes in a mighty fortress is our god that comes once you might have expected having chosen that he would have put it in more else but he's like who knows what he's thinking uh, and something like this will mean something different to different people and i think that's as it should be we can't say this means this this means that uh well perhaps we've been saying that <laughs> But it, it will have that impact. And, and, and really, if the spirit is inhabiting our music, it will say different things to different people. But the music is just a vehicle, if you like, for the spirit. Um, one has to say that the tunes that he chose, um, at least three of them, finish with a downward scale. And so letter R, we have a downward scale. Uh, which tune it's quoting, I can't say. <laughs> It's almost to say, there you are, I've got a, I've got a unity. You say the composer's work is to actually, um, not to bore us, as, as Ray said, he didn't want to bore us, is to engage us and be interested, but not so interested that we can't take it all in. 
that there's a certain amount of consistency going on and things join together and they sound as if they're meant together. And we have the reappearance of My Soul is United. Uh, this time in straight quavers, a solo on the flugel. The trombones come back with just a few chords. We know what they're saying. It's the Reformation Chorale. And then the flugel. Da, 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 to a background of Glockenspiel, who plays with the first cornet. That motif that we had right at the very beginning, the ostinato motif. And you find this with Ray's music. Sometimes you can't be sure, but maybe he's saying this. And he's he's taken the motif from My Soul Is Now United. He maybe didn't mean it. And he's such a humble guy that if you would ask him about something like this, he would say, oh, really? I didn't know. Um, and we have that my soul is now united and it's in three different keys at the same time so what was he trying to say um, and then letter S one of my favourite parts of this piece I, I love the sounds the, we have this chords on the cornets um, and, and accompanied by the triplets and the euphonium So that takes us to section T here in the score. And it's one of those moments in the music where everyone sort of sighs a relief almost that we got through that section unscathed. And the music changes style here quite dramatically, really. Can you tell us about this final larger section of the piece, please? Yeah, well, the trombones lead us into that section and uh, on a G major chord, the solo horn once again plays the ostinato figure. Um, and we are definitely in C major. The whole piece started in C major. Um, people might not realise what they're hearing when they hear a piece of music, but there's the sense, as you just expressed, Matthew, that feeling of relief. We've, we've come full circle. We're back to where we were. We're back in C major. Now, that doesn't sound very much like the Army's foremost contemporary uh, serious composer writing in C major, yet he does. And I think for me, that's a kind of humility. And that he's saying, you know, I can't, with all my technical ability and my my thoughts and my imagination, I can do no better than be in C major. And he writes this tremendous build up using some of the thematic material that we've had already. The trombones, like this downward, ba ba bum bum. They've been playing ba ba bee ba. They play it faster. And for about, I think it's about 18 bars, he builds up to a tremendous climax where the last song comes in uh, at letter U. In the cross of Christ, I glory, towering over the wrecks of time. I would go so far as to say this song has become better known and more appreciated and used because of Romans 8. I don't know how well people knew it before but certainly well-known there. Tremendous climax. C major, he doesn't, he doesn't, it's, it's the moment, what we might call the big tune. 
and we're, we're, we're quite well aware of big tunes these days and uh, we get to the end of a, an epic work and in comes the big tune and the timpani's going, the snare drum's going, the solo cornets are flailing around all over the place and it's a great ending and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, and that might, one of my favourite pieces, William Walton's Belshazzar's Feast, right at the end, it's that's exactly what happens. He's got a big tune, the violins are skating all up and down, and there's a snare drum playing a rhythm against everything else. But Ray's, he's like saying, no, I don't have to do anything. I just have to play the tune. And it certainly takes a band with a good sonority to play this tune. Um, it's not marked double forte, it's marked single forte. And as it finishes, our ostinato figure comes back. Baritone's euphonium's like, yes, that was our celebration. This is where we've been. This is what we've done. This is what we've thought about. This is what we've sung about. This is what we've talked about. And just the notes separated out, the Reformation chorale final phrase just speaks again. I notice letter W, for those that are a bit geeky, um, we've got a C major chord, okay? C major, C, E, G. Um, and there we are, if you look at, this is the notes on the piano. If you look at all the cornets and all the trombones and the basses, they play one of those notes. But we had it have an added second, which will be a D, and an added sixth, which will be a, an A. Uh, and that's what the horns do. If you played the horns on their own, they would be playing a completely different chord to the rest of the band. But we don't hear it's that, it's that, I call a white note chord. It's almost like pressing nearly all the white notes down together. And it's got that marvellous celebratory sort of feel about it. And we drum and we finish and there's a big chord and then there's a very soft Amen. Is it the Amen? No. He's just got to say once more time, the Passion Chorale, his kingdom is forever. And then four bars before the end, you have this one, I would say, it's a kind of cavernous chord. There's no flats and sharps um, on the, the first beat of the bar, four bars before the end. Um, again, it's a white note chord and it kind of, it's, it's like a huge cave and the, the silence of a, walking into a huge cave. And then we get to what a different version of uh, what was taught at school, a T.S. de Picardy, when a minor key finishes in a major key. Well, we're already in a main, major key. So he finishes his minor key, which would be A minor. He finishes it in A major. And uh, I looked at this three bars before the end. The, the third of that A major chord 
is C sharp, which we have in the horns. Uh, and the solo cornets have a D, which clashes. But it's not a nasty clash. It's a kind of ringing sort of authoritative thing. And it's and I think no one but Ray could do that. You might think, oh, that's not right. You know, your harmony teacher would put a line through that. <laughs> but for Ray, it works. And you listen to that. It's it's absolutely perfect. And he just leaves us with this very soft sort of amen at the end. I had a look at the video of Ray's 85th um, birthday concert with the staff band and they played this. And uh, it's lovely to see Ray just step forward into the silence on that night and he just spoke the words of that last verse. What an ending. Brilliant. And thank you ever so much, Dudley, for your time and taking us on that musical journey along the score there and to explore and unpack the music that we have and uh, that we've listened to. So thank you very much for your time once again. Well, I hope some people have been able to follow that a little bit. and Maybe uh, they can, someone can correct me on some of the details, uh, but it's, uh, it's inter I always find that sort of thing interesting to do. Andrew Blythe, thank you for joining us once again on Fully Scored. So I believe that you knew Ray Stedman Allen. Yes, um, well, actually goes back a long way. Um, RSA used to come to Margate where I used to live and uh, be at the core there um, on summer holidays. So as a kid, um, I met I met Ray Stedman Allen. But then when I joined the department at a, a young age, a few years ago now, um, Ray was obviously connected with the department, uh, worked part-time in the department um, and uh, so for over 30 years uh, that relationship with RSA grew and when I became head of the department or headed up the music editorial um, that developed and uh, it became uh, really quite a, a powerful thing for me because I would often spend a lot of time with him uh, at his home in Kettering and in Raynham and um, that kind of relationship grew and so it was a real privilege to get to know him so well and I, I count it the greatest privilege um, that I was asked to speak by um, Joy uh, at his funeral so yeah I, I've known Ray for uh, many years yeah a great privilege and I'm sure you've got many stories about your time working with him, but I believe you're going to share just one of those with us today. Yep. Yeah, um, well, many of us will be able to share various stories of Ray. He was someone who was a spiritual giant to me. Um, his music, musical and spiritual education still lives on in my life uh, through treasured conversations and, of course, with his music. I've, I've chosen Matthew to give a lighter story here. 
um, but it certainly doesn't count uh, for all those moments of shared conversations and deeper experiences that will live with me for the rest of my life. Um, there are many encounters, I could say. Uh, for example, a bunch of flowers originally intended for me to give to Joy, being shut by Ray in the boot of his car, cutting off most of the heads and leaving only the stems. Um, but there's also the fact of being a passenger to RSA's driving was akin to being a navigator in a rally car. Um, such was the adrenaline-filled experience. I had the privilege of writing uh, of Ray writing music reviews for the music editorial department. Um, and for me as a rookie head of the then department, that was a great thing to experience Ray's comments on compositions and so I could make a measured um, decision on that. Um, now, there are several things in terms of those music uh, reviews that could get Ray a little bit hot under the collar and he would often get heated and hot under the collar. Um, he was not a fan one would say of the pillaging of ideas musically, of banal harmonies, of murdering a good hymn tune. Um, they're, they're his words, not mine. Um, but one memorable review uh, that was a rant on the title of this piece of music, although the music didn't receive a glowing review either, but the title was called Hail. And uh, uh, RSA wrote to me, um, uh, Hail. Hail what? Hail the weather? Hail Mary? Hail Hitler? Hail Smiling Morn? The title needs to be more specific. My advice after looking through this piece is what the writer needs to do is hail a taxi cab. And they were, that was that kind of quick-witted humour um, uh, that, that, that used to be a joy in reading these reviews. Um, he certainly could make you laugh. And that's what I remember about, about him, but also a man of great spiritual depth and a musical giant. And I count it a privilege to have learned, shared and experienced Salvation Army Music Ministry with him. And thank God for his legacy. Thank you, Andrew. As a family, um, when I was about eight, Rosemary was about six, we went on a ferry with a car and camped in Holland and France and Belgium. And it, it may not sound very adventurous now, but back then, you boasted if you'd been abroad and that meant the Isle of Wight. So we have some great black and white photos of dad sitting outside a tent. What was he doing? Who knows? Thinking, reading, being creative. Uh, and we went camping a lot, enjoying country walks, marching to the army marches that we whistled and sang as we went. A very strong family memory. William Himes, thank you ever so much for joining us on Fully Scored once again. How did you know Ray Steadman Allen? Well, of course, like all of us, uh, I knew him first through his music and uh, being a young YP bandsman and, and uh, coming up uh, through the, the ranks in our music sections and our core, you know, to bump into his music, like uh, his March Exaltation way back in the 400s of the Triumph series, and then later to go in the senior band and the, I think the first uh, march I played as a senior bandsman was Silver Star 1513 in the general series. And uh, I was so intrigued by uh, his creativity. Um, and it, it was music that people could listen to and enjoy without understanding what he was doing, you know, but the musician in me quested to find out what is he doing that makes it so interesting. 
And uh, so that was how I first encountered Ray Stem and Allen through just the plethora of music that had already been published um, in his name by the 1960s. And uh, then later on, about by 1969, I think it was, um, he came over to a Central Music Institute. Uh, I wasn't a student that year because I was on the road uh, in an evangelism team, but I, we managed to stop in. And that's uh, when we had uh, our first encounter. And, you know, just to, to meet this guy, you conjure up a completely different image of him in your mind. You think he's very uh, professorial and, uh, you know, almost unreachable uh, in his intellect, but just so down to earth and so friendly and uh, so encouraging. And I had written a little march uh, in my senior year of high school, so I would have been 18, that was called The Witness. And uh, he uh, saw too that, that that got published in the festival series. But so it started out that way. And then of course, later on, as um, I wrote more music, but also uh, became deeply involved in Salvation Army music leadership. Uh, by the time I was 28, I was now the territorial music secretary. So we had all those, uh, all those encounters back and forth. And so I have a whole uh, file that I've digitized of letters of Ray Sim and Allen to me and me to him and stuff. And they're just spiced with uh, such humor and just down to earth uh, kind of uh, writing. He was just an amazing man. And uh, if you judged him only from his music, I think you'd, you'd miss uh, 80% of him because uh, music was something he was very good at. He was exceptional at. And he used that as his method to reach other people. Uh, I'll always remember this, um, ISB 120, and all those bands were in for that spectacular uh, weekend, nothing like it in my mind. And, uh, and it finished up, not at the Royal Albert Hall, but it finished up with a Sunday morning uh, service. I think it was at Westminster Halls. And Ray would have been just uh, one of the thousands in the, <laughs> in the room. But when I noticed him was after the general had given her message and gave an invitation for people to come and pray. And I saw one of my bandsmen step out right away to go forward to rededicate his efforts uh, for the kingdom. And I don't think he was halfway down that aisle when he was joined by Ray Stebbin Allen, who didn't know him, but he just saw a soul coming, coming forward. And it was, that, um, it was that instinct in him to come alongside and pray. And uh, we're celebrating his, the centennial of his birth now. I was fortunate to be at the program. Um, I think it was at uh, the rink that, uh, that uh, celebrated his 90th birthday. And um, I was able to give a few words of tribute, of course, but what I remember is uh, the interview that uh, Major John Mott did with him, it was just an informal thing. And at one point he asked the question, how would you like to be remembered? And uh, his answer was just so uh, stunning. He said, immediately, as an officer, I would wanna be remembered as an officer because that's what he was at his heart. He was an officer in the sense that he was a, I, I use the term officer in the ministerial pastoral sense of the word. His calling was to reach people for the Lord. And uh, he could do it 
so uh, vividly through his music, but he could also do it personally uh, through uh, his interaction with people. And I tied that together with that young man coming forward to rededicate his life and RSA immediately being alongside him because he was an officer. He was a minister. He was a pastor. He didn't know who this guy was, but he knew that God could equip him to help. And so it wasn't surprising to me that after he retired, he was like the welcome sergeant at his core. Uh, I mean, he might have played the piano too, who knows, but, but his, his, first, uh, his first job was to be the welcome sergeant. And that, that's an RSA you don't see when you uh, see his name in the upper right-hand corner of the score and you hear the music, you, uh, you hear the vast creativity and wonderful sense of connection with his music. His music could connect to people and reach them. But uh, you would miss that one phrase, I am an officer. Uh, that comes out in his living, not in his writing. Thank you, Bill, so much for your time. Here's one of my favourites, which gives an insight into Dad as Dad. Uh, when we lived in New Barnet, uh, I turned 17, passed my driving test. Uh, Dad came with me to Finsbury Park on a dark and rainy evening to get a car. It was an Austin A40, it cost me 40 quid. And it was held together with string, I think. And dad was interested in basic car mechanics, but frankly, neither of us knew enough to turn this thing down. Uh, and I wanted it so much, my first car. And he came with me. It was one of the many special shared moments I had with dad. He was a great dad. Uh, and Rosemary will have stories of her own special moments and it's a shame she can't share one or two of them. Uh, but it is a window onto life in the Steadman Allen household. Stephen Cobb, welcome back to Fully Schools. Can't quite believe it's been over 30 episodes since we've heard from you. How did you know Ray Steadman Allen? My first experience of, of Ray Steadman Allen was as a young boy playing the March Nicely Saved on Second Corner. It must have been one of the first pieces that uh, I, I learned to play uh, in the YP band. And then I've had this remarkable opportunity of, of seeing many different aspects of Ray uh, over the years, uh, from listening to the Holy War as a, as a young boy, not realising the, the, the magnitude of the piece, to getting to know Ray and his family when they moved to Hendon. And the, the privilege of, of going to the Stephen Allen home uh, on a Sunday evening after the meeting and uh, listening to music in the same room as Ray, uh, hearing Ray come up with musical sketches uh, with my dad when they were working on a, a cornet solo together. Then playing the Warrior Psalm, I think it was, at, at Tilney Hall from Manuscript. And then finally, uh, being a friend and colleague of Ray's within what was then the Music Ministries Unit at Territorial Headquarters. So I've seen so many different facets of the man during my life. I think the, the time when, when he and I were in music ministries together, uh, he loved being part of that team. We, we used to go up to the ninth floor and eat together and have coffee together every day. And he loved the banter. Uh, and he would often compare 
how things were then with how things were when he was in the International Music Editorial Department. Uh, but he loved that. But the great thing about Ray was that he had the ability to, to relate to people across all ages. And, and even in his mid eighties, he had this, this remarkable physical energy. He, he, he would come walking down the corridor um, <clears throat> um, in a really sort of bustling way. And as he was walking, he would take his jacket off. He would roll it up and throw it underneath the desk. And it's not the behaviour you would expect of a revered Salvation Army colonel, but, but that was Ray. And he loved being Wonder Boys. And, and I reflect on that time and, and his, his appetite to be with people, his zest for life, his desire to, to self-improve all the time was, was something that was, uh, was remarkable. I remember a, a, young, a young student coming to THQ on work experience. And um, I can't remember the young man's name now. And I don't think he had any particular uh, remarkable ability as a writer. But he sat with Ray. He, he probably didn't know who he was sitting next to, really. But Ray give the, gave this, this young boy time um, to look at his writing and, and, and make suggestions. So I remember that. But I think one of my vivid, most vivid recollections of Ray and, and the man that he was, was an occasion when um, he was reading through a copy of Salvationist one morning. And then he, he came into the office and, and he put this magazine down. And he said, have you seen this, Steve? Have you seen this? And he was really animated. And it was a picture and, and a paragraph or two of a, of a wipey band in Scotland, in Bird Island. And he'd seen the, the rebirth of a wipey band and 18, 20 kids that had come together and they were playing, this was their first performance. It was something like that at, 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 a, at a meeting up there. And he was so excited. It was an almost childlike excitement. And he, he, it really energized him. And he went back to his desk. And then a couple of days, days later, uh, he gave Andrew a march, a Unity Series march called Burnt Island that he'd written for, the, for these kids. And I, it, I, I was just so moved by this man who was well into his mid eighties, being excited by a mission being done through music and he'd written this march. And in if ever there was an example of, of the humility of this man, who, who never lost sight of, of local, who never lost sight of mission within the Salvation Army, who had this capacity to write a, a very straightforward piece for a group of young people, but at the other end of the spectrum could, could write the most stunning and advanced music for for our very best groups and outside the Salvation Army tour, there was the example uh, of the stature of the man. So it, it, uh, it, it was just a, a privilege to, to be in his company. Really, a really wonderful man on, on every level. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Steve. Well, we are at the edge of time that we have available now, I'm afraid. And so this special episode comes to a conclusion. Thank you ever so much to all of our guests, 
to Bill, Steve, Andrew, Derek, Ken, Howard, Barbara and Dudley for giving up your time to chat and share these stories. It really is appreciated. Thank you also to our producer, Simon Gash, for editing and splicing all the parts together. Finally, thank you to you, our listener. If you've made it all the way to this point, give yourself an extra bonus brownie point and maybe even a pat on the back. Until next time, goodbye and God bless. didn't always used to be Stedman Allen. Was it always Stedman Allen? It always sounds so regal, so noble. How did, how did that name get so long? My father was called Stedman. My dad was called Frederick after the, in World War I. Yes. And uh, Stedman was my family name. I see. So I couldn't get it, so I had to do it legally and tie it onto the front of the Allen and pay some money, and then I could be Stedman Allen. Yes, but, but why, why did you do that? It's... Oh, well, because we... Uh, when I was band, talking army here, which I, perhaps I shouldn't, I was bandmaster of a band that did a lot of broadcasting and recording. Yes. We had three other Ray Allens that used to be on the, on the bottom. One was a ventriloquist, one was a singer. I can't sing, can't do ventriloquism, and I used to get their mail. <laughs> and they probably got mine. So I thought, somebody's got to do something about this, so I did that. So you had your name changed? Yeah, I didn't get the their money, I just got no, their mail. No, no. I was saying to the retired officers today that, that when I uh, put together the instrumental index and computerized it and you could sort of measure up all these pieces by how difficult they were and where they were and what types they were, and you could also determine who the composer was. When we sorted it by composer, there's a few pages of this and that, but there are pages and pages, reams of papers that say Stedman Allen, Stedman Allen, Stedman Allen. You are by far the most prolific writer in Salvation Army history. That's, that's true. That's true. It's one thing to write a lot of stuff. I mean, you could write the yellow pages, and that's thick, well, but that's, that's not much. You know? dribble, but yeah. it's great, great music that you've written. And, and my question to you is, when did you realize, when did you first realize that you had a creative musical gift? Well, I first wanted to be a musician when uh, I was a kid of about eight, and I couldn't get to play a cornet because I used to follow the band with a little motor horn, and, uh, remember, oh, yes? pretending, pretending it was a cornet. And eventually, uh, about teenage, I think, yeah. Really? But when did, you, when did you discover that you could write music? Create music? Well, I used to be the pianist for, the, for our band, youth band. Yes. Okay? And they, we, they didn't like, in those days, where, where I was anyway, it was a bit unsophisticated. They didn't want Beethoven, they didn't want Mozart. They wanted army marches. So I used to practice writing, borrowing a band score and copying it all out and turning it into piano music. Ah. So I learned 
backwards, if you think that's yeah, what it sounds like. Yeah. But it, it, it's, yeah, and but your music is so unique and so unusual. In fact, uh, knowing something of the conservative, stiff upper lip English culture, you must, have, you must have ruffled a few feathers when yes. you were coming out. Did, did you sense any of that? Yes, I've had letters. I mean, I've had co- I've sh- I always tear them up, but I've had lots of correspondence. <laughs> really? But, uh, there was one, there was one very eminent officer who wrote an article in the Judician, as it was then, about the Holy War. Said it made him feel sick. Of course, at the end, he said, well, people don't like wars anyway. They make people sick. That didn't make any excuse. He really got it really? off his chest. He couldn't stand it. So is this sort of a consumer warning? Because, you know, tomorrow yeah. night, uh, the Norwich band is going to play the Holy War. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. those of you who are a little weaker and firmed, be warned. It could have that nauseous effect. Well, but I mean... But I don't think so. I rather don't think so. But Bring your own bag. So... Yeah.